we remember the days of old. We meditate on all that you have done. We ponder the work of our hands. We stretch out our hands to you. Our souls thirst for you like a parched land. Answer us quickly, O Lord. Our spirits fail. Hide not your face from us, lest we be like those who go down to to the pit. Let us hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you we trust. Make us know the way we should go, for you to you for to you we lift up our souls. Sam, you guys can grab a seat. Good job, buddy. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 143. That's where uh, we'll be spending a few moments this morning as we uh, as we get into the Easter spirit. I mean, I'm assuming that uh, already you've woken up into some sort of Easter traditions. Uh, does anybody have any like fun special Easter traditions that you do on Easter morning? Lily, what do you what do you what do you do? Did you get a bunch of toys and stuff in your Easter basket? That's right. That's great. Anybody else have Holly? You eat chocolate, all right, just wake up, Easter morning, just start with chocolate, that's great, just have it sitting there, a big old bunny, just sitting beside the bed, yes, find Easter eggs, yeah, that's a really fun one, find Easter eggs, anybody else have any fun traditions, I heard there was some Easter, hidden Easter baskets, did somebody go searching for some Easter baskets this morning, yeah, I heard you found one, anybody else have any fun little traditions, special breakfast, yeah, like, Deidre made us some waffles. What did you guys make for breakfast? All right, got some sugar, (laughs) natural sugar. That's great. That's great. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we purposely load our kids up with lots of sugar before Easter Sunday because that makes this time great. Um, No, but I mean, so we we all woke up kind of knowing what today was about a little bit, right? We all woke up and knew today was not just the first day that Theodore King is with us. Woohoo! Yeah, right here. Yeah, yeah. It's not just celebration that like, six days and like 20 hours ago or so, like he entered the world, yeah, yeah, yeah. Less than a week and he's here, that's awesome. You guys definitely get bonus points in heaven. Um, extra jewels in the crown, that's right. So just follow their example, people. Um, that's, that's right. And so, no, but we're not just here to celebrate Theodore, which is awesome we're celebrating. We're not just here but to, to, to eat chocolates and uh, drink juice and celebrate um, that we got some baskets hidden and found, right? But we knew when we woke up today that something was special today, right? That there was a reason that we're going to dress up in our best. Thank you for all those who, who did so. You elevated our church to some legitimacy. Um, <laughs> We knew we were coming into this place. And again, I don't know, I don't know everybody here. Um, I don't know um, um, all, everybody's story, but I'm pretty sure that you're here because you knew today was special. So, so let me just say this. In case we don't know why we're here, or maybe even because we do know why we're here, let me say, I think Paul says it best, like the straightforward, simplest reason for why we gather here this morning and why this day is special. He says this in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, friends, let me go over the message with you one final time. This gospel, good news that I proclaim that you have made your own. The message on which you took your stand and by which your whole life has been saved. And as Paul says, I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy, that you're in this for good and holding fast. I think the the reason many of us are here. The first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me, that Jesus the Christ died for our sins, as we sang, exactly as scripture tells it. That he was buried, 
He was raised from death on the third day. Again, exactly as the scriptures say. That he presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers, all at the same time. Most of them still around, although a few have since died. And then he spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him. And then finally, he presented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear. I didn't deserve to be included in the inner circle, as you all know. Having spent all those early years trying to my best to stamp God's church out right of existence. But because of God, God was so gracious, so very gracious. Here I am. And I'm not about to let his grace go to waste. That's why we're here today. Because God was so gracious, so very gracious, we're here. And we're not about to let his grace go to waste. And really, that could be the mantra of our Lenten season, right? The Psalms of Lent that we've walked through over the last 40 days. This following Jesus through the shadows of Death's Valley, to the cross and to the tomb and to the other side into resurrection. Of course, we began our pilgrimage, this Lenten pilgrimage, knowing where our destination was, right? That our future, our freedom was where we would be. That our destination of our travels these past 40 days would always lead to this day, to Easter Sunday. We knew when we started Lent 40 days ago that we would be here this morning. The journey had its shadowy moments, a movement down into the depths of our brokenness, of the brokenness of the world, before we ascended into the pastoral plains of life with God, the arrival into what the Apostle Paul later calls the new country of grace. But our arrival is never in doubt. This is what happens in baptism, Paul says, when we went under the water, when we followed Jesus into the, into the tomb, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we came up with Jesus out of the tomb and we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. Yet if we're honest, while we've been moving this direction for some 40 days, and we celebrated last week, especially with the excitement of that our destination was clear, that the freedom that God was after for us, that God was making for us, the recreated life he had for us, was right around the corner. Um, if we're honest, stepping out of the confines of the old country, leaving the kind of security we find in the hiding place and the bushes and the shadows of Death Valley, and walking into the expansive open pastures of a new country of grace, requires at least one measure, one additional measure of conviction and courage. We still need a little bit to go to get from the edge of freedom into freedom in its fullness, right? I think we'd all say that's true. In our final Psalm of Lent is a shared prayer from brothers and sisters who have made that step before us, who have moved away from the shadows on the edge into light in the life in the middle, a prayer to help us step out of the tomb a little more today and in the days to come not wasting the grace so graciously bestowed upon us in a new life. The psalm that we are in today confesses what we often feel in this life of faith, that if we step out and live in the way in which God is leading us, our enemies will catch us. If you go back into what, uh, what Lily read for us in, um, in Psalm 143.3, it says, For the enemy has pursued our souls. He has crushed our lives to the ground. He has made us sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, our spirits are overwhelmed within us. Our hearts within us are dismayed. There's something that's coming after this psalmist, right? The first two verses are the same verses that we've read over and over again in every single psalm that we've read the last 40 days. He's, he's caught, we're caught up on the same pilgrimage trail. And here, right away, he, he says, the psalmist says for us, the thing that keeps us from moving out of the edges of darkness into the light is that, our souls feel like they're being pursued. 
There's something after us. There's something wanting to take us and we're overwhelmed by it. Later, the psalmist makes explicit the dismay of the hearts in verse 9, crying out to the Lord, Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for cover. I have fled to these edges. I'm trying to hide from these things. That's what I want. I want freedom from those things that steal my soul, that pursue my soul. And when we say that's all, what we're all after to some degree, right? We're, we're after freedom from the things that, are, that steal our soul, deliverance from the things that, that take life, life in its fullness from us. A few verses later, the conviction required um, for this movement into the freedom of Easter, this recreation of life anew, bubbles up. And the psalmist prays not in desperation for God to deliver, but in hope, trust that God will deliver. He says, and in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. Not, Lord, deliver me from them simply, but you will do it. I know you will. You'll cut them off from me. No longer will they be able to catch me. And not only will they not be able to catch me, you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. What keeps us from stepping fully into the new country, exploring the vast terrain of life with God, and instead roaming the borders where it feels like every once in a while we duck back into the darkness, into the shadows, rather than expanding and growing in depth and freedom of life with God and the, the fullness that life with God entails? Are the enemies that pursue our souls, the adversaries that would take life from us? Sometimes those enemies are internal. We've learned that throughout the Lenten season, right? In all the Psalms. The fears of failure, of not being loved or lovable. The ambition to succeed, to get more, to get my way. All those ways of being with God and others in which we use them or are used by them, they leave us in the end alone. Those things suck our souls out, right? They take life from us. Sometimes the adversaries are defensive responses to the sins of others and the brokenness of this world. The bitterness of, uh, towards a spouse that doesn't act the way you want them to. The bitterness of towards God for him not acting the way towards you that you think he should. The bitterness of not getting what you want out of life because someone truly is oppressing you. Jealousy because others have what you want. Seeking revenge and punishment under the mask of justice. All these are defensive responses to the real sin and brokenness of our world, right? These are ways we naturally sometimes respond to things within us and things around us. These are mechanisms and emotions that close off our hearts to grace and forgiveness and separate us from those closest to us. And so they still are alive. Sometimes the enemies are not us at all. They're not in us or around us or our interaction with them. They are ideas and systems, principalities and rulers in the heavenly places that speak to us an identity that's not the identity that God speaks to us. That tell us a purpose and a place in a world, but in truth lead us only to a life in which we are used up. A life where we think we can judge and rather we find that we ourselves are being judged. We find that we're suitable only when what we can do for someone or some other's, other's agenda is fulfilled. We find ourselves used and lifeless. All these, the psalmist declares, has been cut off by God's steadfast love, destroyed by the action of God on our behalf. Jesus is dying and rising. 
The prowling, pursuing enemy of life whole, full and forever with God and one another, has no place in the new country, no power to consume us. But how? How do we move from believing this to living this? Right? How do we move from praising God for the resurrection, why we come together to worship on Easter Sunday, to living resurrected lives today and tomorrow and in the days to come? Well, the psalm helps us there too. Sam read for us what is required of us. He said in verse five, we remember the days of old. We meditate on all that you have done. We ponder the work of your hands. We stretch out our hands to you. Our souls thirst for you like a parched land. For to you, we lift up our souls. How do we live the resurrection? Where do we go from here as we move into the country of new life? Well, we settle our hearts and minds, not in the torrent of the moment, the emotions, the circumstances, the feelings, the systems, the brokenness, but rather in the actions of God on our behalf. We settle our hearts and minds, not in the torrents of the moment, but in the actions of God on our behalf. We meditate on all that he has done. We ponder the work that he has done on our behalf. Then we give ourselves, our lives, to the one who holds them anyway. We meditate, we remember, we settle our hearts in the action of God, God's action with us and for us. God's desire, as we've learned throughout the Lenten season, he desires not death, but life. He desires us not to walk in ways that take life from us, that entrap us in the enemy's snares, but rather free us to live life whole and full. And he longs to show us the way so that we don't get caught in the traps, so we don't find ourselves wanting the thing that he desires for us, not having the thing that he is after for us. And so we give ourselves to him, our lives to the one who holds them. We let ourselves, our whole selves, body, mind, heart, and soul, rest in what we have discovered through this Lenten season. What we know to be unshakably, undeniably true through Jesus himself, that is, that God is with us, that God is for us, and God will persevere us. Delights in our living, a true, complete, and full life. I mean, isn't that what we just sang and celebrated? Isn't that what Paul, we read just a moment ago in 1 Corinthians? That we're here today because Christ lives, because he's overcome death, because he's defeated all these things that take life from us. And so when we feel like our souls, our lives are less, are being pursued, are torn. We don't go into the shadows again. We don't return back into the shadows that we've walked out of. We move further into the light, settled by what God has done for us in Jesus. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, took our sins upon himself and rose again. For how does Jesus destroy the adversaries of our souls? He takes the life we offer him and exchanges it for his own life. How incredible is that? He takes the life we offer him, not, not the works we offer him, not the obedience that we offer him, not the desires that we offer him, not the, not the as we've learned, all the way through the Lenten season. It's not what we give to him in order to earn what a response from him. It's simply saying, as the psalmist says, that I'm done, I need you. That's it. That's it, in receiving what he gives to us, his life. 
Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, for our sake, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin. He made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin, to be the very brokenness and off the mark piece of life that we experience, the depth of our broken souls, so that Jesus might become, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness, the wholeness, the right way of relating to God and one another. The power of the cross and resurrection is not merely that our sins are removed from our account. We as a family celebrate um, uh, Easter um, where on the Easter Eve, I don't know if that's a thing, but we, we're starting to use that term, Easter Eve, um, we do this little, this little ceremony thing where we write down some of the ways in which we participated in uh, sin. Like where we have ourselves done things that did not bring life to ourselves and to others, did not honor the way that God has created us to interact with one another, and, and didn't bring to flourishing life, but rather destroyed life. And we write those things down on a piece of paper or on a, on a little stone, and we cover them in a, red, in a red cloth. And the next morning, the kids wake up, and, the, and if, assuming dad doesn't forget to take the, the, uh, the basket off the mantle, um, which I did this, this, this uh, last night, um, those things are gone. They're completely gone. They're completely removed, right? And in their place are these things that bring flourishing of life, kind of sugar and snacks and games, right? The flourishing, like... It doesn't quite translate, but you know what we mean, right? There's this celebration of life, right? And so, and listen, like we believe that. We believe that's true, that God removes our sin from us, right? That he looks at us and he no longer sees the ways in which we were broken, but sees Jesus. But it's more than just he removes our sin from us, that he forgives us for our contribution to the decaying of life rather than the cultivating of it in our homes, in our work, in our relationships, into the world. It's more than that. The power of Easter is that our recreated life is not our own life, but Jesus' life in us. That's the power of Easter. Not simply that Jesus, that God forgives us. He does forgive us. We've learned through Lent that the atmosphere of life in this very world is forgiveness. We live in a world completely full of God's grace and forgiveness every day that we break, wake up and take breaths. Every single day. But the power of Easter is not merely that we live in a world of forgiveness, the air of forgiveness. The power of Easter is that the recreated life is not our own lives, but Jesus' life in us. A life that was proven that the enemies cannot consume it. The enemies' adversaries cannot overtake it. A life full and forever, as we've learned in the Psalms, as one of our very own Psalms of Lent has said. Psalm 102 says this, Of old you, Lord, this is God speaking to Jesus the Messiah. You, Jesus, laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. The life we have is a life that does not perish, but remains. The life we're given, God's life for us, is a life that does not fade away, but lasts forever. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, but they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. And the children of your servants, the same word is in Psalm 143 shall dwell secure, their offspring shall be established before you. The life that we live on Easter Sunday is a life not our own. It's the life of Jesus, a life that cannot be overcome by the enemies, cannot be put to death by adversaries, a life that lasts forever. Or as Paul put it in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I don't live anymore. You and I don't live anymore. The reality of Easter is that you and I don't live anymore. Christ lives in us. 
It's Christ's life. When God sees us, he sees Christ. When we wonder how will we be able to walk out of this, this darkness into light, it's not if we're good enough, if we're strong enough, if we're able to. It's because Christ can and does and is able. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. What Lynn has taught us is that in lifting up our lives, dying to old self and sin, we find that God gives us his life. Not just new life, not just us a little bit different, Jeremy 2.0, right? But he gives us his life, real life, whole life, true life. So as we did to start our time, let us conclude with a straightforward statement of not only why we're here today, but where we go tomorrow. Paul says in Romans 6, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, the shadows of death's valley, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That's what a pilgrimage was, right? We're out, we're gone, we're going through it. That's what, bab- that's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we had left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life and a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus, this thing that brings us into life. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our, our Father so that we can see where we are going in a new grace-sovereign country. Each of us is lifted to a light-filled world so that we can see where we're going. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, the decisive end to that sin and miserable life, no longer as sins every beck and call, no longer pursued by the things which that take our soul. What we believe is this, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal to the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word, When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did for you, for me, for us. Dead to sin and alive to God, and God alive in us. That's why today is the first day of recreation. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that over these last few days as a faith family, we have had an opportunity to set our minds and hearts on a course to be here. But Lord, I thank you that even if that wasn't the case for some of us here in this room today, that if we didn't get to participate in what we've done, but but simply just by the fact that you have allowed us to wake up into grace today. You have called us to this day, to a day of life in you, a day in which those things that still our soul, those things within us and around us, our response to the wrongs towards us, they might be destroyed. They have been destroyed in Jesus So help us today, Father, more than anything, more than anything, 
to simply remember and lift our lives to you. Receiving, Father, not earning, not bargaining, not achieving, but simply receiving your life in exchange for ours. We thank you that this is how you overcome evil. Not by destruction, but by your own son's death. Not by our death, but by his life in us. So it's in his name we pray.